So today we're going to talk to Helen Black about empathy for those who have had an experience of incarceration. And today we're going to learn why it's so important that we all really take a moment to learn about other people's experiences, have empathy for other people's experiences. And then at the end, we're going to figure out what we can all do to help because it creates safer communities for all of us and it creates a better life for the people who've had an experience of being in prison. So today we're talking empathy for those who've had an experience of incarceration. My name's Leanne Butterworth. We're speaking to Helen Black. I hope you can join us. Today we're talking with Helen Black from Work Restart. Now, I've met you a couple of times and we're going to get into what it is that you do and why you do it. But I had the I've seen you pitch at the Spark Plug event. I've also had the privilege of going out to one of your prisons. So right back to basics, Helen Black from Work Restart. Welcome, welcome. Can you tell us what it is that you do and who you are and give us a bit of an intro? Lovely, lovely to be here. Thanks, Leanne. So I'm Helen, Managing Director of Work Restart. We work with people with an experience of incarceration to help restart their lives. We run a very unique system inside Australia and actually, as it turns out, pretty much around the world where we have areas inside the prison that we run. These are industry areas and we do that on three different veins. We do that with digital technologies, we do it with entrepreneurial and small business and we do it with construction. So those are our three areas of specialties that we take into a prison. Uh, We work to help to upskill, uptrain, provide real-world work experience and help people develop the soft skills and mindset around reintegration that's going to be positive for them, their families and the community. We do all of that inside and part of the stuff we're actually looking at implementing this year is our outside reintegration um, social enterprises that can be the next day out employment for the guys that we're working with. So So forgive me for sounding ignorant on this, but giving people inside prisons the skills and confidence to actually recreate their life and be more productive on the outside, why isn't that a given? Why isn't that something that the prisons themselves would be doing? Like where did your interest in this come from and why does it take the outside in one prison in the world? to do this and what sort of results are you getting? Yeah. So if you'd said to me four years ago you would be working in prisons, I just would have laughed at you. It's it's not been my background. I haven't had any any real thought, didn't even think about people that are incarcerated. Like you, I probably just saw the people on TV every night doing the world's worst things and saying, oh my God, you know, I'd hope I'd never meet that person. But about four years ago, the Queensland government put together a working group Uh, They had to open up a new prison or it was an old prison that was shut down, but they had to reopen it. And they basically said what we're trying to do to help stop recidivism or reoffending is not really working. So currently at the moment across Australia, 46% of the people that are incarcerated on release will go back inside within two years. So that's just a huge emotional, financial, social cost to our society. It's about $7 billion worth of money every year just in reoffending across Australia. 
So I said we wanted to do things a little bit differently and what we need to look at is integrate with um, social enterprises and businesses and other people in a slightly different way. So what we do is we work on a very defined field. Reoffending, reincarceration in general is a highly complex matter. If this was easy, it would have been solved ages ago. Mm. You know, there's all sorts of people that are incarcerated generally have a lack of education because they've had disrupted schooling. They have a lack of work experience because of that disruptive schooling. They often haven't had jobs or um, are finding themselves not employable. Often there's mental health issues, drug and alcohol are a significant factor in there and I suppose haven't really had the experiences and the opportunities that many of us haven't had in life, many of us have had in life. So you know, this um, cohort of people are often highly disadvantaged. They go inside if it's all about punishment because there's two sides of crime. There's justice to the victim and there's also consequences for people who perpetrate crimes. If it's all about punishment, then it doesn't help their future. And, in fact, prisons across the world have been notorious for actually just being incubators of further crime. Uh, they, they get to meet people that, that teach them new skills, etc., and they are so isolated socially often when they're released that the only people that they feel comfortable hanging around are people who've been in their shoes, so formerly incarcerated people as well. So it's, it's quite a complex problem. The thing that we looked at was one of the critical factors that sat in somebody's future that sort of indicated whether they would re-offend or not was their ability to access meaningful work. So doing work that they were capable of doing and aligned to do from a strengths perspective. But if somebody doesn't have the skills and the training and the work experience, trying to get there is really difficult. So most people on release just want any job, even if that job is cleaning floors somewhere, because it would just give them the chance to sort of start moving forward mm. in their life rather than going back. So what we did was went into industries areas inside this prison as a, as a trial and what I found was that most of the industries were, were, I suppose, typical male industries, so blue-collar, metalwork, woodwork, automotive, which is absolutely fine. There's lots of wonderful people who need to do those sorts of jobs. Mm. But there was also a large cohort in there that th those sorts of jobs weren't meaningful for them, didn't really resonate with them. So we started Australia's first digital studio inside a prison where we wanted to teach coding. However, that was just a little bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> because people thought that they might learn how to unlock all the gates, oh <laughs> which, of course, they didn't. So we started actually with graphic design. We've done a little bit of coding. We do animation, 3D modelling, 2D modelling and um, CAD design and drafting and stuff like that. So what we found was that there were people who absolutely resonated mm. with those sorts of futures, those digital futures, which hadn't been open to them. So we unlocked that opportunity for them. And because what we're trying to do is look at, well, what are the opportunities rather than just sort of standardised, almost stereotyped sort of roles that you can do with your skill sets, that's where we've been able to achieve a far better outcome because we've, we've opened up these areas in a different way. I think the other thing too is that it's very difficult to do two roles inside. Obviously, it's critical that a prison is 
a safe place and needs to have guards and needs to have people that are monitoring behaviour and, and et cetera. What we find is that because our role is different, our role is about the future, it's not about doing that very important monitoring role, uh, which has to happen. Our role is all about looking forward, that we find that we have great outcomes as well because, unfortunately, regardless of how wonderful people in prison guards are, they're dressed in blue and they're the enemy and we're not. So people are able to open up with us more. We're able to have professional conversations with them about their, their future and where they sit and some of the struggles and the triggers that they have in their life, which they can't have, I suppose, because it's just the culture of a prison with people that are actually from that prison system. So, so what sort of outcomes have you been getting over the last four years? Really good. So, again, if you look back at that recidivism rate, Australia-wide, it's um, 46%. Queensland is 42%. Up north in Queensland, it's um, 75%, uh, which is just really, there's some major problems there. But our area is about 8.3%. So we, wow. um, we are having an impact on what we do. Some of our digital area is only 4%, so it's, you know, quite quite low in that in that area probably but that will change that's going to go up and the reason why it's going to go up is because of the current environment it's very difficult for people to reintegrate and find jobs and move forward but we're also finding that when the prison first started uh, to a certain extent because it was a trial a lot of the people that were going in there were being a bit sort of there was a bit of a selection process not from us but from QCS And that's changed. I just looked at the cohort that we'll be looking at interviewing next week when we're back in there. And each each prisoner is allocated a risk of re-offending score. So it's a score from from 1 to 20. That is their propensity to Mm re-offend. So it's it's based on their past history and also potentially some of their mindset at the time when they re-enter. And in the past, what we've had is a bit of a shift. We've sort of had an average of about 12. So, you know, we have some people that have low risk of re-offending scores, threes and fours, et cetera, and we've had some really high ones, sort of 19s and 18s, et cetera. But on average, we're looking at about 12 across all of our areas. So there's no difference in the more technical areas than there is in the less technical areas. But this last cohort that I looked at, I haven't seen a more higher reoffending rate <laughs> than them. And I think that could be saying a little bit more about what's actually happening out there at the moment. And I know that some social enterprises would start to be a little bit picky, but we're not. We have to be fearless. We have to be fearless in who comes to us. And regardless of their past and regardless of the fact that, yes, they've been in and out of jail for the last 15 years of their life and the chances of us making a difference are that small, so small, but if they come to us and say, I just want to give this a go, we can't, we can't turn them away. We, no. we can't say no. And so because the cohort of people that we're working with now is slightly different from when it was, we do expect that reoffending rate to go up. Having said that, though, it costs $110,000 to incarcerate somebody per year, one person per year. So even if that goes up to 15%, we're still saving the government and the community a significant amount of money um, from that. So from what you've said, it makes perfect sense for 
you to go into the prisons to engage the guys, to teach them new skills, to build their confidence, to build those connections then with the outside so that their risk of reoffending drops. To me, that makes perfect sense. But given that it's a trial, was there pushback? Because you sort of talked about the punishment side. Like, was there pushback? Are there people who go, no, thank you very much. These guys don't deserve it. Like, is there that mindset at all? Look, I think in any institution that's been around for a long time, you'll always have people who say the way it's done is the way it has to be done. We've been exceptionally lucky. Our um, The GM in the prison that we work in has been exceptionally innovative. He has a model that he likes to implement that is looking at the best possible outcomes. So from a top level, we've received fantastic support from that GM. Yep, occasionally we get some of the people further down the, 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 um, <laughs> the chain, maybe some of the guards going, oh, you know, why are you doing this? But that doesn't really worry us. We're, we're about impact. We're about changing lives. And we know that we're going to get some pushback. Probably. What I originally thought was we'd get more pushback from the community yeah, okay. um, because because what we see on TV is often the worst of the worst. And, you know, some of the things that people do that are inside are quite horrific. They're, they're things that scare us. There are things that make us say that person doesn't deserve that second chance. The reality is, is the majority of the people inside, 98% of the people inside are going to be released. The majority of them are there on smaller sentences. So while there is sometimes some pushback from people in the community saying, well, they don't, you know, why would you spend time and energy on them? They've stepped over that line. The reality is that those same people will will also put their hand up and say, yeah, I really support kids in foster care and I really support kids that have been abused and, yeah, everybody should have a proper education and they're they're quite compassionate when it comes to the same group of people who Mm -hmm. are under 18 But as soon as they're over 18 and they're struggling to find their way and they're drug addicted and all sorts of other things, the compassion goes and it's like, well, no, you're an adult, you should know better. But if you don't have the role model, yeah, exactly, that compassion sort of leaves. And to me, it should be the other way around. It should be we've let you slip through the cracks. You know, you've, you've slipped through. We, we didn't, we weren't there to help you when you really needed us as a child. And and now we're turning our back on you as an adult? To me, that just seems around the wrong way. It should be actually we need to put more resources around you because you didn't have the childhood that the, the rest of us had. Yeah. And, you know, we go from there. And I think, so I think that in when we look at sort of the prison population, I mean, I went into the prison as one of your mentors and I met this beautiful group of guys and we did an activity at the start where it was step up to the line if you've experienced X, Y, Z, step back. So it was things like, oh, what were the questions? Did you have books in your house? Yeah, step yeah. Up if, for the did, did, you, did you have more than 25 books in your household yeah. as you were growing up? And all the mentors pretty much all step up to the line. Yeah. And on some, I think in your case, maybe only a third of yeah. the guys inside stepped up to the line. And we've yeah. even had a case where... Only two guys stepped up to the line. Yeah, okay. You know, things that we take for granted as being normal, normal yeah. experiences, 
are very different. And I think it's just getting that empathy around, well, just a minute, if I keep on asking why, you know, why did you commit that crime? Rather than just taking it as its face value, it's why, uh, oh, you know, and, and I remember asking this with a group of kids. It's like, why do people commit crime? Oh, because they're bad. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, why are they bad? Oh, because they were born that way. Really? You know, it's, 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 yeah. no, it doesn't happen that way. And when you start asking the question why, there's always, there's always something that sits behind it that just says, okay, right, well, that's pretty crap. What you've gone through is pretty crap. And I understand yeah. that you didn't have the people around you to help you through this at that point in time. So you haven't made the best decisions moving forward. But I think that's where we have to be more open with saying yeah. we need to look at this. And the, the systems that do it best in the world are the Scandinavian countries. Okay. So from day one, so their, their annual, their, their sort of national recidivism is around the 15 to 17%. Yeah, well. Which is massively low compared to, I mean, America's is, is 75%. So America is very punishment-oriented. Yeah. They get 75% of people coming back. There's, some, there's a whole lot of other social justice issues in the American stream, which, of, of course, oh, okay. we're, we're hearing a lot about at the moment with the Black Lives Matter, but there's some there. In the Scandinavian countries, from day one inside, it is about rehabilitation. It is about the future. They have... Very few prison guards. Most prison guards are actually psychologists. So it's around actually working with the person to say, look, we've all got shades of light and dark. You've got so much light in, inside of you. How do we let that shine? How, oh, how do we bring that That's a beautiful out? way of looking at it. Yeah. Because I think the other thing, as much as there were questions where, we all, where the guys stepped up to the line, there were a lot of questions where there were both sides now it wasn't everybody from both sides but correct me if I'm wrong was one of the questions have you ever broken the law, the law. yeah and most people step up to most the line on both sides yeah yeah so to me it's very personal I mean I've told my story a bunch of times about having postnatal depression and really just getting furious with Zara once because it came out as postnatal rage and I think if I'd taken that next step if I'd hurt my child people would not have looked at me and gone oh, sweetheart, how much were you struggling? I would have made the news and been the worst person in the world. Like how could a mother yeah. do that? Yeah. So when we all stepped up to the line, I mean, we've all sped, we've all potentially run a stop sign, texted while driving, yeah, paid, forgotten to pay a parking ticket, I don't know, whatever it is. But we've all done something and yet in my mind there would be people inside who don't have that background that we're talking about who don't have that negative experience and but they all deserve that level of compassion because we all make mistakes so in my mind it also comes back to but what if you don't have that background what if you've got your middle class white suburban you make a mistake you end up inside you would expect a level of humanity and compassion that you're potentially not willing to afford other people. Yeah. That yeah, exactly. And I think this is where we say what we try to do is fearless compassion. And fearless compassion is trying to pull judgment out of it 
because you're exactly right. Okay, so it makes it a little bit easier to understand if somebody's been homeless or kicked out of home or, or physically abused, you know, at the age of 12, they haven't had the people around them to help shape their lives at a very, very critical time in their life. But if somebody's been brought up and gone to uni and done all of these other things and they've just got greedy or, you know, another judgment word that we're happy to put on to them, again, we're, we're stopping there. We're stopping at that, we, you know, oh, you just sold drugs because you wanted to live this high-flying lifestyle. Well, the question again is why? You know, what is it about you that says that you're not good enough as a person, who you are, unless you've got all this money and all of this stuff? And what's society saying about the value of a person? Again, judging the, well, you're only as valuable as your possessions. So there... I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some people who need to stay in jail, but we're talking less than 2%, you know, 2%, less yeah. than 2%. And there is so much talent and capability and even resilience inside prison that we're just wasting. You know, yeah. he's, this, he's this wonderful resource of people and skills and talent that we're wasting because we put judgments on top of that. Mm-hmm. And it's super hard. I mean, it's, it's, as we said, it's that line that you were saying about I could have crossed that line at one stage. We all could cross that line at some stage and some people do. And it takes so much effort and courage to try and step back because the reality is, is that line's always tattooed on your head for the rest of your life. Mm. That, that that follows you everywhere. You are followed by the worst thing that you have done your whole life. Oh, absolutely. And it, so then if you're looking at training up the guys inside, getting them confident, getting them skills, what sort of barriers then do they face on the outside? Because like we just said, people don't ask. They don't go, so, did you make a mistake? Are you white collar? Did you were you abused as a child? We're not looking to empathise. Yeah. We're not asking those questions. So, we kind of just paint everybody with this brush of oh well, you must, and you just like you said, it's just judgment and it's assumptions and it's all this stuff because whether it's insecurity or fear, people aren't willing to ask the questions. Yeah. So the guys would come up against things on the outside. So. I guess how do you broach that bridge between the inside and the outside? Yeah, and that's that's a big challenge. And it was interesting. I was very lucky to get a uh, Westpac Social Change Fellowship, which is oh, a little awesome. bit like a Churchill Fellowship, but it's yeah. in the social social enterprise field. So that enabled me to actually have a look at best practice across the world, uh, what's happening in America. I, I tried to look at countries with a similar culture because they're, you know, I suppose it's just our understanding of incarceration and systems that sit around it. So looking at best practice in Scandinavia, but then Europe and UK and America and stuff like that, Singapore even. And it's really interesting because at the moment we're very different from America. Every employer, every employer, whether it's just the local burger joint, has on the employment forms in America, have you ever been incarcerated? And you tick that box and you're pretty much ruled out of employment and in Australia when we're not like that we don't have as many people looking into criminal backgrounds and things like that but we're getting more like that so there's there's this always this fear of going if if I'm truthful which is what I want to be because I'm trying to you know start my life in a better way then I don't even get the chance to 
to get employed. I don't get in front of people because they're scared. And, you know, I have to take some responsibility for what I've done. I've got to prove that I'm a different person. The question is, how do I do that if I'm not even given the chance? But so some people don't say that they've been incarcerated, but they live in fear of their bosses finding out, you know, and what will happen when they find out if they do do a criminal history check and I haven't said the right thing. Well, they're just going to be validated with, oh, you're just a liar and, and all the rest of it. So it is really tricky. And that's why having social enterprises and other organizations that are willing to say, We've got the capacity to take on a group of people that are incarcerated and we understand that for that first three months or six months or so that full-time work may be a bit difficult for them. Most incarcerated people on parole have to physically attend the parole office one day a week for the first couple of months. So, you know, I can't turn up for work every day of the week because I've got to be somewhere else. So you can imagine if somebody has been... Uh, let out and they have got a job and they haven't told their employer that they have been incarcerated well they have to be sick every Thursday or something like that and then it just puts this sort of spiral in place so we're really interested to work with some fearless employers who are willing to say we understand some of the challenges of people especially in that first three months first three to six months and we're going to be flexible around that we're going to work together with where we start and, and the person to create the best possible outcome so that this person can get their life back on track and keep going. So I think BHP was one organisation. We were speaking with a lady who was formerly incarcerated up in northern Queensland and BHP had that system up there and she said it just changed her life yeah, because not only did she have an employer who was willing to give her a go, she said that employer said, I'm not interested in your past. I'm only interested in your future. Yeah. So you've got a clean slate. And that to somebody who always feels the weight of what they have done in their past is just liberating. Here's yeah. somebody who's saying they're willing to give me a go and understands that I might struggle a bit when I hit some of those same triggers that sort of forced me into this position in the first place that's amazing but how powerful is that to have a fearless employer who's willing to do that because the the impact of that not just on that individual but on that individual's family and our community and the government's budget is massive this Mm. isn't just the monetary value of that is huge in terms of what is saved rather than that person going back inside yeah Yeah, and I think it's also like there has to be an attitude shift, like with the general population. So to really go, okay, what is my part in this? What is it that I can do? And to me, I think it's, yes, an attitude shift of going, okay, we've got to start asking more questions. We've got to start, and not to the point of invading someone's privacy, but not almost even asking questions of ourselves and going, well, why do I judge people like that? What is it that I'm afraid of? What is it that stops me from engaging or, or makes me, I guess, blanket everybody with the same image or persona? But so, okay, so let's start there. So what is it that I guess the public can do to shift our perception and change how we interact so that we do get all those flow-on benefits? I think the hardest thing is it's it's not just the public, it's actually everybody involved. 
So, you know, I mean, an incarcerated person has to do a lot of soul-searching themselves. Yeah. You know, they need to understand themselves. What were my triggers? How can I prevent those things? How do I, how do I move forward? And what, what, what's my support structure I'm going to wrap around myself? So they need to be asking those questions. Yeah, gotcha. The general public needs to be doing the same thing. And I think that fundamentally it comes down to actually doing everything that's against what our brains does. So, you know, our brains love to put things in categories and it's mm. always risk averse and everything else. But it's just saying, how can I look at this person as an individual? How can I actually see that person and not all the tags that, that, are, that are wrapped around them, ex-offender ex and this and that and everything else? And what am I doing to help them on their journey? So, you know, I mean, it, it is hard. It is hard when you're out. If you're addicted to drugs and you go back into an environment where drugs are readily available, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have days where you fall off that. So is an employer willing to sort of say, I recognise some of the challenges you're going to have and that if we can have an open conversation, as you said, around those, let's just have this open dialogue and let's put in place strategies that should this happen, then, you know, this will be our actions. Let's, let's do that. The reality is most employers, and I've been an employer, I know that you're an employer, and <laughs> um, it's hard to have the time to do that, especially if you're a small business. It's just I need people who are going to be great for my business because fundamentally I've, I've got, you know, I've got the weight of making sure that all my employees get a, get a, a pay every week and can go home and look after their families, that that sometimes being able to open up your heart and a little bit more time in your day is very hard to do for somebody who may need that little bit of extra support. But I think this is where those medium and larger businesses can come in because often they'll have a little bit more capacity to wrap around yeah, that gotcha. knowledge around them. But I think overarchingly if we as a society are saying why all the time and not just being... Um, happy with that first answer? Why? Because they're bad. Well, no, 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 they're not. They're not. Okay. What? 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 What is it? What's happened here? Why has that person felt that that was the only thing that they could do at that point in time? Or you know, where? Oh, absolutely. You know that that then I think you know we would love to start a conversation more around people deserve a second chance. The reality is that some of the people we're working with haven't even had that first chance. But you know. If you get in a taxi in a Scandinavian country in Finland and they say, what do you do? Oh, I work in prisons. The taxi driver says to you, that's great because everybody deserves a second chance. Now, yeah, that's a cultural shift. Yeah. That, it, that is a shift that sits around we all stuff up. Oh, absolutely. Some more than others. And if we understand the reasons why, we can actually help, you know, allow people to be all they're capable of being yeah. rather than just being thrown in a box with a label wrapped around it that says, sorry, you're no good. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. I mean, you think about it as well. If, if we were all judged on the dumbest thing we'd ever done. Yeah. Like if we walked around. Every going, day. Every, every day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of dumb stuff that I did in my 20s and yep. everybody did when they were a teenager. Yeah. If that then became your defining moment, yep. as opposed to something you could go, whoa, yeah, well, let's pretend that didn't happen. 
because um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've evolved from there. And, like, stupid stuff that you've said, stupid stuff that you've done, that, yeah. like, yeah. If that then becomes the the thing that defines you. And and it's it's limiting it's limiting human capability and potential. You know, if 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 all you're willing to see is the worst part of somebody when there is always so much light and so much capability and so much that they can offer a community. Yeah. then how are you ever allowing anybody to be who they fully are? I mean, it was really interesting. I was talking to a lady. So females in general are less incarcerated than males. So they, they make up about, uh, depending on where you are in Australia, I think it's 7 to 9% of the total incarcerated population. They are seriously tough ladies. They've, they, you know, I don't think I've ever been nervous around a male prisoner, but I have been nervous around female prisoners, and that's wow. just my judgment. That's you yeah. know, so sometimes I have to be fearlessly compassionate towards myself yeah. as well, in terms of not you know, if I get it wrong, I need to be fearlessly compassionate there as well. But I was talking to this lady overseas in a small town in in England, and she said that when she got out for that first year. She felt like she had the word you know, prisoner tattooed on her head. She felt yeah. that everybody was looking at her as if saying, you're no good, you're worthless, you, you can't, you know, there's no point to your life. And she was actually thinking, well, if there's no point, maybe I should end it. Maybe I should just not be here. Is the yeah. world better without me here? And when I'd met her, she'd been working for an organisation which was a social enterprise for about three years and she was one of their senior managers. And I felt so powerfully at that moment that had that sorry it just makes me quite emotional it's just here's this beautiful beautiful lady who's living her best life who's showing all of her light because somebody was brave enough to be able to hold a mirror up and say this is what I see in you is all of this light and this this all this stuff you can contribute And she was going to take her own life because oh, all so she was fun. seeing at the time was people who had just said, you're not yeah. worth anything. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to get emotional about that. But just, um, and I suppose that's just where we need to be. We need to be brave. When yeah. I say us being brave, I don't necessarily mean victims of crime being brave because I think yeah. they've already been brave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I um. I've met a number of victims of serious crimes who actually do want to help and have gone into prisons to help people. And I think that they are some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. Like it's easier when we're saying fearless compassion. Fearless compassion is easier when the jump is smaller. Exactly. And if you've been a victim of crime, I think that you've already you know, you've served. Yeah, exactly. Um, having said that, people we have working inside, uh, one of them's cousin was murdered by somebody who was on ice, it just had a drug drug fueled ice thing. We have other people inside, including myself, who've been victims of, of lower-level crime, so they've had their houses robbed and, and other bits yeah. and pieces. Obviously, this hasn't occurred since we've been working in the prisons. Yeah, yeah. occurred. So, so, you know, I think I think that there's... The ability to be compassionate, even if you've experienced that, but I, I, I don't expect people who've experienced horrific crimes to, 
you know, the, um, the compassion has to be for the rest of us. Yeah. Coming from oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing was, I mean, the guys that we met inside, they we met them on their pitch day. So they had been working on a social enterprise or a business yeah. and on that day they pitched to us and I think it was a three-minute pitch and they got to say, this is why, this is what I want to do, this is how I'm going to do it. And we didn't know anything about the guys. But there are a number of them who had come up with ideas and we were just there to say, oh, go, dude, have you thought about this? Here's, a, here's an idea. And they were ideas. And like you were saying about that, that lady who it brought out the, the potential in her, there were ideas that these guys were coming up with where you were going, oh, the world needs that. So there was, what was it, native gardening. Yeah. And there was <laughs> happiness personal training. And yes. there was art as anger management. Yes. And, I, and it was beautiful because the guys all went, this would have helped me. This is what I needed. I needed anger management. I needed to get my story out there. I needed to help younger people. I need like, and so to me, it's, there's, there's these pieces of experience and passion that I think need to be just encouraged and fostered that like they to me they deserve that chance to yeah and I think that's the one thing that we found about the entrepreneurial program so as I said we're running an entrepreneurial program it's quite unique in Australia where we and it's based on some of the programs that I saw overseas in America that are that are quite big and have achieved great outcomes as well so you know, we're just running a pilot at the moment to really understand how it might work and how we can best support the people. But it, it just, as it said with you, it surprised me is that, you know, we're talking about people that others may have judges going, oh, they just want to, I think one of the CEOs once sent to me, one of the guards, went, oh, you're just teaching them to be better drug dealers. And it's like, no, that's, that's not even in their mindset. That's no. not what they're even looking at. And some of them may have aspirational goals, but they're around things that can help. I mean, mm-hmm. one of them was, was the um, battery, you know, how do we create solar, solar power batteries that can be sustainable and, and can use things a bit differently and be long, long going and things yeah. like that. And, and when, you, when you're actually talking with them, what they just want to do is something that they're passionate about, whether that's yeah. lawn mowing or gardening or or something else, and they just want to be able to support their families and live a, a lifestyle where they're contributing to the communities that they're going into. It's it's none of this big, I'm going to take over the world sort of stuff. Oh, it's no. just these are the things, as you said, that would have helped me and I would love to offer that. I mean, when I say that people inside are really resilient, I often get a, really? If they were so resilient, they wouldn't have committed the crime? But the reality is, is that often with many of them, they have been through so much and, and this is where, this is, and that resilience has just been worn away and away and away and away. But they're far more resilient than many of us because of, the, because of their experiences and they need to be resilient when they're out as well. So it's these sorts of character traits which can actually work really good with entrepreneurship. Yeah. Because you have to be resilient to be an entrepreneur. Oh, you have to be able to, you know, envisage a, a different future and a different path. And if we can help them facilitate that, you know, even even if they don't go out and start their own business, because we know that that is super hard, you oh, know, and, and there's a large business failure rate. We don't want to set anybody up for failure. 
just dreaming and and thinking, well, actually, I can do something different in my life. Okay, I may not be able to run my um, puppies program for people with mental health yeah, but yeah, I yeah. can I can sure as hell go and find somebody who's doing it at the moment and try yeah. to get work there you yeah. know it's 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 that sort of there's a pathway for me here in all of this imagining and all of this looking at what could be possible so yeah. and I think that's the difference as well of I mean if you are on the inside you're looking at release of going oh I have to wait for someone I have to wait for someone to give me a job as opposed to, oh, hang on, I could get a job, but that's not the end goal. I could learn some skills and I can do some things and then I've got this this dream and this passion and this vision. But, yeah, the dog trainer one was beautiful. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> and yeah. and all, he, all he loves is dogs. He just finds them so therapeutic. His oh, face lit up. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the um, prison we work in, they've got a pups program where they where they train pups that work with autistic kids and oh. things like that. So so they just train the dogs as their puppies to sort of learn skills, et cetera, and then they go out and um, the, the puppies go out and then they get more training outside and then they go with autistic kids. Oh. So it's just, again, it's this sense of purpose and oh, contribution. Okay contribution is just such a it's it's a word that we as a society don't value I mean again if you look at what society's values it's so often around materialistic things whereas which which actually rules out a lot of people of ever being anything of value if we as a society value contribution more than material things everybody has the ability to excel in it Oh God, Every, yeah. Everybody can contribute, even if all you can contribute is that you're still contributing to your to the maximum. Then you know, to me, that needs to be that's the measure of a true society is whether we value contribution. So yeah, and because everybody think, wins at that, everybody yeah. can win. And they've made it very clear lately that we don't value our artists and their contribution. We don't yeah. value <laughs> like holy moly. So. If as all of our millions of listeners today who want to make a difference and they're not in a position to employ, let's say, people who come out of prison or they're not in that position, in my mind, the thing that we could do is to start to engage the social enterprises who are using, so for example, Green Fox Studios, they are one of your social enterprise networks who so if we can support those social enterprises who that then has a flow and effect to help your program and the guys inside. So because in general we should be supporting social enterprise anyway. Yeah. So who are some of the, the businesses that you work with that we can start to support more so that they can, I guess, support you and you support the guys. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So in our digital studio, Green Fox is is, is our primary one. So they're the graphic design and, and animation, etc. studio. And they're doing wonderful things with, with the guys inside and looking at how they can connect outside. I think the yeah. biggest thing about social enterprises is a lot of people feel, well, mm, yeah, it's a, it's a really, yeah, it's a good idea to support people, but I'm in business and I need talented people to do things they they often disconnect a social enterprise from quality outcomes Mm -hmm. so what we're trying to do is build social enterprises and connectors that provide 
as their primary goal, high quality outcomes. And by the way, we also happen to help people. Yeah. Oh, well. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. think, um, yeah. So we're currently working with Trademut, which yeah. is which is absolutely fantastic. We're really keen to work with Dan and Ed and, and Corinne there as well. And that, so there's a number of other smaller social enterprises that we look at. Revive Collective looks at. Are oh, they the bags? Billboards and stuff like that. And we're in the process of just working with one of our inside for-profit organisations to help look at how we can create an outside employment social enterprise around some of the work that they do, which is really exciting because that's a real inside-outside integration as well. So I think um, we're really keen to work with other community-positive businesses to help support them in their roles if they're not employment-based. Obviously, if they're employment-based, we don't want to take work away from people being employed on the outside. But, you know, if they're outsourcing something overseas to China, well, don't, you know, insource it inside with us for roughly the same amount of money and actually achieve outcomes and social impact out of that money rather than things going overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, because we saw the bags from Revive Collective, so old billboards being turned into, there were pencil cases and yeah. tote bags and, oh, they were gorgeous. Yeah. So, and that's win-win. That's that's like blow your mind win-win social enterprise. That's like circular economy. Circular economy that is helping people restart their lives at the same time, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I actually think the majority of Australian prisons should be doing. So the model that we have in the prison that we're in, we're really interested to see how we can expand it out to other prisons because we believe that connecting with the right social enterprises and the right sort of employers, we can actually really create this double, what we call the double good. So it's not just achieving benefits for reducing recidivism, it's actually helping, like Revive, helping to solve an environmental issue and other things. And there's just so much good that we can create and the positivity that can actually come out of the prison system, which is what we'd love to see, rather than sort of the, 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 uh, the other, it's either negative thought or no thought that most people have around it. We need to really have these as positive environments that are really creating positive futures. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put a link to Work Restart, Green Fox Studio, Trademark Revive Collective, <laughs> um, because there is Thank so you. much that there is so much that we can all do to change our opinion, but also change our buying habits, which then has impact across yeah. the board. I think just being able to have people willing to say that people deserve a second chance yeah. is also part of what we need to have. Is just having the mindset that everybody has value, and sometimes that value takes a little bit to be able to, you know let them see it in themselves to be able to show the rest of the world. That's another thing that that all your millions of, of uh, listeners can do as well. Because <laughs> I talk about that a lot, like in terms of the first step to empathy is realising that people matter. Like yeah. you matter, you have value, but also I matter and I have value. Yeah. So in order to connect with you, I needed to connect with myself first. Yeah. Like... Yeah, and if there's like this whole empathy piece, you could boil it down to two words, you matter. Yeah. Like that (laughs) blows my mind. Yeah, and and the reality is we've got to be brave enough to say everyone matters Mm. and that's difficult to do that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to be fearless in being able to willing to say that. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm. absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. Helen, how can people find you? How can people sort of support what you're doing? Uh, well, I mean, we've got two things. They can go to our website, so workrestart.com.au. We're also a DGR, so if they, you know, if they if they're in the Brisbane area and they want to be involved with mentoring some of the people on our entrepreneurial program, just shoot us a line and say, hey, I'm interested. We, you know, if, if they'd like to donate money towards something, a project that we're currently working on, they're welcome to do that as well. And it's all tax deductible. It's it's great. Yeah, we're, we're happy for support anywhere because, I mean, even just being able to say, hey, do you want to come out and talk to our workers or do you want to come and talk to our group about what you're doing? You know, because we're able to start changing mindsets around that. Any of that, we're of happy to do. Yeah. Thank you so much for today. I, I love it. I love this stuff. And I think you're doing such an amazing job. Well done. And good luck getting back into the prison on Monday. No problem. Thank you very much for having me, Leanne. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye. So there you go. I think there's so much in there that we can learn about ourselves and learn about the people who really through quite often through no fault of their own have found themselves behind bars. And I think really we owe it to them to show empathy and compassion and really try to help them so that when they're on the outside they don't go back in and we talked about all the benefits of that including boring stuff like saving money but it saves lives it saves families it builds communities um, so thank you so much Helen for that if you would like to learn more about me and what we do then you can go to empathyfirst.com.au or you can find all the other Empathy Podcasts at theempathypodcast.com.au slash podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to send me any feedback or questions, you can do so at leanne at loseyourmind.com.au and you can find all of Helen's links down below as well as the social enterprises you can support to then further support the people on the inside. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye.